This is BT Techno, a regular podcast series for financial advisors wanting to remain at the forefront of strategy, regulatory and industry news. We've been hearing the term gender pay gap since the 1860s, but the problem is probably as old as time itself. Is there really a gap? What's causing it? And how is it relevant to advising your clients? Hello everyone, my name is Sarah Conti and I'm the Senior Manager, Advice Technical and Regulatory for BT. I'm part of the BT Technical Services team, a group of qualified individuals who can help you as advisors answer any technical advice strategy related queries you may have. In today's podcast, we'll look at some of the facts about the gender pay gap, why it matters, and some practical tips for engaging female clients who may be looking at ways to boost their income or just increase their financial literacy. Joining the podcast today is Anne Graham, CEO and Senior Financial Planner at Story Wealth Management. Anne has over 30 years experience working in finance and financial planning, as well as degrees and certification, including CFP, CPA, a Bachelor of Business in Accounting, and a Master's in Applied Finance, as well as a long string of awards. Story Wealth is based in Hawthorne, Victoria, and combines a wealth of financial and market knowledge, extensive experience, and a genuine interest and concern for their clients to help them achieve their financial goals and outcomes. Welcome to the podcast, Anne. Oh, thanks, Sarah. Happy to be here. And this year's National Equal Pay Day was 29 August. This represents the additional 60 days women must work to earn the same average annual salary earned by men. The new national gender pay gap has increased by 0.3% over the last six months to 14.1%. According to the ABS, the full-time average weekly earnings difference between women and men is $263.90 or $13,722 a year. And in the recent Gender Equity Insights annual report published by Bank West Curtin Economic Centre in collaboration with the Workplace Gender Equality Agency, each state has a different gender pay gap. Western Australia has the largest gender pay gap, while Tasmania has the lowest. According to the report, the largest pay gap areas are dominated by industries with an unequal balance of men and women, such as mining and healthcare. I guess the next logical question is what's driving that gap? According to the report, the main driver of the gender pay gap is the concentration of men in higher salary sectors and women in sectors with lower pay. The report states that Australia's mining, construction and manufacturing sectors employ the lowest share of women, less than 30% of the workforce. And all three of these industries offer above average pay. Conversely, the report highlights that women make up around 80% of the social assistance and healthcare workforce, and that roles within these sectors are typically lower paid. Women also make up two-thirds of the education and training workforce. The research conducted by the Workplace Gender Equality Agency found that in the construction industry, women earn less than men relatively early in their careers. And women working within the education sector start out on higher salaries in the early stages of their career, but their pay remains relatively flat for their lifetime, whereas their male colleagues see continual pay increases over their working life. The report offers some suggestions to reduce the gap. These include um, increasing the share of women working in male-dominated occupations and industries, growing the share of men in female-dominated roles, and ensuring the occupations and roles more commonly undertaken by women are remunerated in a way that better reflects their value to society. 
In fact, the report states that Australia's gender pay gap would narrow by one third if all industries and occupations achieved a 40-40-20 gender split. So that ratio refers to the workforce gender splits at all levels of business, 40% men, 40% women, and 20% any gender. The government has indicated women's participation and equality is at the centre of their economic agenda and that they aim to address some of the entry and retention barriers to work for women that continue to exist. Um, to address some of the barriers, the October budget proposed measures like the expansion of the paid parental leave scheme, cheaper childcare, um, investment in women's safety and action to advance gender equality. And a lot of these suggestions seek to restructure the workforce dynamics over the longer term. And while that's a, a, a macro approach, do you have any practical tips women could implement now um, to help boost their income or even increase their financial literacy? Um, yeah, it's a really difficult question um, to answer um, because of the structural issues involved. Um, but I suppose on a micro level, um, I mean, one of the things is to, as Cheryl Sandberg said, lean in and maybe, you know, be a little bit more um, proactive in asking for pay rises. So if this is for women that are working um, and, and rather than just sort of sit back and, and be offered something, um, be yeah more proactive, asking for pay rises or different conditions, et cetera. Um, and feel worthy of doing that. Um, although that that's okay in some sectors like private enterprise, um, you know, businesses, um, professional services. But if you're employed in the in the welfare sector or childcare, it's almost impossible to ask for a pay rise because those industries just don't have the flexibility um, to give pay rises. They're probably covered by awards that that limit that sort of thing. So, um, but that, you know, that's a fairly straightforward, obvious one, but it does take a bit of courage to go to your boss or your HR and say, I think I'm worth a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> um, although there's probably never been a better time given the employment um, rate is pretty, um, pretty full at full capacity almost. So um, another one, which is more of a long-term kind of approach is investing in your own education. So if you can skill up, more and um, continue to educate yourself or even um, just just university. I think there are more women in, in university now than there, there ever was and probably a, a greater proportion compared to men. Um, but education is a, a definite way of increasing income over a lifetime as well. So, and something like that too doesn't doesn't actually mean men have to work, have to earn less for women to breach that gap. I think sometimes that's the perception of, um, you know, to narrow the gap, men have to earn less, but that's not the case. It's more women just need to have the same opportunities in terms of pay as a lot of men do. So another thing that um, occurred to me was a lot of women are, are work part-time or take on the, the main childcare or housing, you know, home responsibilities compared to their partners. I think this is a societal thing that if, if that split was more even, then women would have the opportunity to take on either more full-time roles or at least not have their work disrupted by childcare or other responsibilities. You know, it could even be looking after older parents. So if those sort of jobs were were more evenly split, that would have a 
significant impact in terms of careers for women too, because often that pay gap, I think, is um, partly caused because women take big breaks out of work when they have kids or family commitments. Um, with um, financial literacy, I think, um, you know, it'd be great if there was a specific sort of component in school, like starting really young, and that would benefit both men and women. Um, but when when it's sort of a one-on-one kind of thing or, or a small group, there, there are a ton of resources that we can refer people to, like moneysmart.gov.au has a lot of information. Um, and the, the thing with the financial literacy is people don't really um, open their minds to it until they need it. So it's like a point it's a point in time thing um but if you can kind of have a really strong foundation of financial literacy you can build on it as as the um needs arise so they're just a couple of things that sort of come to mind um both experience in in my working life and also um, dealing with clients you've mentioned asking for pay rises are there any tips on on how to ask for that yeah it's really interesting um and everyone's different so some people have the confidence to do that um so we've mentored people as well you know young young women um coming into financial planning um some will have definite um strong confidence and belief in their abilities and you know quite career focused others aren't as determined maybe or confident. So the tip I'd say is if you're asking for a pay rise, it's really in your best interest to prove to your employer that that you're worth it in a way. So you've really got to sell the idea. There's no, no, I mean, if I went to to an employer and said, <laughs> uh, can you just give me another $10,000 a year? Thanks very much. Um, the, the response would rightly be, well, why? Yeah. You know, and so, you know, one way of doing it could be here are all the things I've done. Um, you know, I've performed really well in my role. I've, I've met all expectations. Plus, I've, I've done these other things too. You know, um, I'm a real team player. Whatever it is, I've undertaken these other courses. I've skilled up. Um, you can also refer to um, salary guides that relate to your industry or profession and benchmark yourself um, and have a really strong case. That not only, I think, um, supports the request for a pay rise or pay review, but it gives you a bit of confidence as well because mm. you can reflect back on what you've done and what you've achieved and go, oh, well, I'm, I'm okay. Um, you know, I'm really quite good. And I think even just asking if it's, if it's sort of not um, – if the request isn't successful in the first instance, at least it it raises the flag to to your employer that that you're keen, you know, yeah. and that that you're aware of what your value is, and that that might um, benefit you down the track. So. Yeah, I think it was this week um, that the Albanese government sort of made headlines around um, you know proposing to remove the secrecy clauses in employment contracts and. I mean, that's obviously going to benefit both sexes as well, right? Yeah, yeah. I can see pros and cons with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you're um if you're an if you're getting paid and you know what everyone else is getting paid, that can be good or bad. You know, you can yeah. go awesome. I'm but you know, if you're getting paid really well compared to your peers, how does that set you up amongst your peer group when you're working with them? 
Um, mm. You know, so I think there need to be a lot of communication around what it means and, and so on. And then as an employer, does that mean that you just put everyone on the same pay, pay level so that there's no differentiation, there's no obvious you know, ruckus that you're going to create because you're paying someone 10 grand more than someone else for the same job, you know, on the face of it. So I think it'd have to be handled really um, in a careful, like just communication, you know, because people come away with their own perceptions of their worth and their value and everyone benchmarks themselves to other people. So, so maybe it's maybe in bands, maybe the secrecy could be removed in terms of you're getting this band, um, but I don't have a strong view either way. I can just see, um, I can see some, some issues with it. Yeah. 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 Well, I think it's obviously showing that they are as a government considering some of the, the barriers and some of the, um, factors that are, are attributing to the pay gap. Oh, for sure. I think, it, I think as many options as possible need to be explored um, and and you kind of, you know, try it and see, see or you workshop it. I'm sure, well, I'm hoping that would be something that would happen is that they kind of go, yeah, actually, how, do, how does this play out in real life? Um, but attitudes, are, um, you know, social attitudes can be the main barrier or can be a significant barrier. Um, I was on a sort of a working group at one point looking at how to increase women's retirement funding um, because there's a big gap in super between men and women and it was things like, you know, do you have super paid on on parental leave? Do you um, – oh, it was reducing the 450 a month that people had to earn before they got super – oh, you know, a whole lot of things like that and some of those changes have come through. But there was, you know, a couple of men in the group and um, one of them, you know, highly educated, experienced in financial advice, the whole thing, um, made a comment about, well, if women didn't choose to work in low-paid industries, it wouldn't be a problem. So – there you go. <laughs> I don't yeah. know how you counter that. Yeah, yeah. Well, if, if we can turn our attention a bit to the investing side of things. So mm. some research conducted by the Warwick Business School looked at the habits of male and female investors. Um, this research, research was conducted back in 2018. We've also seen some more recent research from Fidelity that was published in 2021, and, and that research reinforces these results. So according to the research, women investors are more conscious of risk. Um, they tend to leave their investments alone. They're better at letting go to minimise losses. They're more consistent and they put the time into research and learn. The Fidelity research highlighted that women mistakenly believe they are not good investors and that only one third of women surveyed saw themselves as investors. So that's kind of interesting research. Um, Is it consistent with what you're seeing? Uh, Yeah, it is actually. Um, So we we tend to work mainly with um, sort of older women, probably 50 plus and in that retirement or planning space. So, um, but, you know, I've worked with younger women as well. And I I think the younger women are maybe becoming a little bit more aware of investments and and things of that nature. But certainly with the women we've worked with, um, all of those things are apparent. And I don't think I've, no, not ever. Um, It's very rare that a woman would identify themselves as an investor. 
and use yeah. that terminology. So um, they'd say, I'm a saver, I'm, I'm thrifty, I'm really good at budgeting, you know, those words, which are sort of positive, but not I'm a really, you know, I'm an investor. Um, some do, but most don't. And um, there tends to be, a, you know, broadly speaking, a lack of confidence in their yeah. ability and, you know, whether it's historical because maybe their partner used to manage the money and um, and now they're doing it or they're maybe usually when they retire or look at retiring and, and they're able to access superannuation, it's the most money they've ever had. So it's yeah. a big decision um, and, they, and, and they start to question themselves. So not that men don't, but women are probably more likely to say um, – out loud, I'm I'm not very good at this, or I'm I don't have a really good knowledge, and I'm really embarrassed, and I haven't saved a lot. Um, and so, building up confidence can be um, a really helpful thing for them, and tell them you know <laughs> they're not alone. But yeah, they um, they are definitely. I don't want to generalise, but you do see that they're more risk averse than a lot of um, men. And mm-hmm. um, however. The, the comment around that they're um, likely to be more consistent um, over the long term in their investing, that's true. Once they've made the decision, they'll, they'll tend to write it, write it out and stick to it. Yeah, right. Look, while certainly there is a need for um, public policy to address the gender pay gap, um, it's worth considering what role financial advisors can play in helping female clients get ahead. Um, you know, maybe it's that budget coach or that investment specialist or even, you know, the education partner um, to, to help improve financial literacy. All of those roles are essential components in improving financial literacy and empowering women um, to make decisions. As an advisor who spends plenty of time in this space, um, can you give maybe like your top five tips for engaging female clients? Um, yeah, a few tips. Um, and it probably applies broadly as well to, to male, but certainly with um, women. Um, I think you've really got to let them talk and listen to their concerns so that and try and draw them out a little bit. So um, it could be I'm not very good at this. And, and you're listening, oh, well, why, why do you think that? You know, what, what's shown you that you're not very good at this? And, and just sort of listen to them. Um, don't talk down and don't patronise. That is the worst thing that can ever happen. Like you do not patronise and say stupid things. You, you, you know, treat them like adults um, and be positive. So I think a lot of um, approaches around money generally is around mindset and where you come from. So if you go into it all with um, an, a view of, of um, not having enough, then that's different than if you go in with the view of whatever I've got is enough to meet my needs. So it's like an abundance thing, which sounds a bit woo-woo, but it's more if, if the attitude's right you can um, and, and there's some confidence there, then the whole approach to money and investing changes. If you don't think you've got enough, then you're worried, you're going to make dumb decisions, um, you're not going to listen. So when you're talking to clients, I would say have go in with a positive approach. And provide lots of resources because if someone's come to see an advisor, they're, they're ready to, to learn and they're in a position where they want to make a decision. And so if you can refer them to things like Money Smart or other, other resources, there are a ton of websites that um, have information that could be specific to their issue. So not too much. You don't want to overwhelm anyone, 
Um, but if you give them really relevant um, resources, that's often helpful. Um, and encourage engagement. So encourage people to ask a lot of questions, um, maybe give them, um, you know, bits of homework to do so that they feel empowered, you know, so you're saying, look, if you do this, come back and we'll, you know, then take the next step and then they're involved and they're active about it. Um, I think, I think the big thing with women is once they realize that also they've got some control over it with, with a partner, you know, with a, an advisor or someone that's on their side, um, it does give them a lot more confidence um, and every now and then they'll doubt themselves. I mean, the markets have been pretty awful and erratic over the last few years, and that's um, difficult for anyone, but particularly for someone new to investing. So, you know, yeah, I, I think treat them like adults, talk to them. They often, a lot of people, women particularly, compare themselves to others. How am I going? How do I compare to anyone else? So, um you know, most often they're like everyone else and that gives them a bit of comfort as well that they're not alone. Um, yeah, but so listen, don't talk down, be positive, provide resources and encourage engagement. So, Anne, you, you mentioned um, like a lot of women like to compare. Do, do you find when you're like going through those discovery questions with clients, um, men or women, do, does that sort of centre around, oh, like, you know, such and such has got this much in super and I've only got this much? And does that lead to some of those scarcity beliefs that they may have? Um, yeah, and it's not even so. So I think one of the issues too, which goes back to why women don't describe themselves as investors, is I don't think they tend to talk specifically about what they've got with each other. So it might not be I've only got, X amount and I know my neighbour's got more. It could be I suspect my neighbour's got more. Um, they appear to have more or I don't think I've got enough because everything that people read about retirement is you need a million dollars and, you know, with no context around that. And so when we talk about so, – so the first thing is what you've got is what you've got. And we'll try and, you know, we'll, we'll do what we can. But what you've got is what you've got. And we'll work around that. And in your circumstance, it is enough <laughs> because, you know, you've got what you need to meet your your lifestyle needs. Um, we often refer to the ASFA um, yeah. retirement um, research that comes out yeah. quarterly um, as a bit of a guide We'll do some back of the envelope things too. And what we're trying to do is bring it down to their individual circumstances and say, yeah, sure, you know, the, the papers might say you need a million dollars. You've got this. And because of what you do, this is how long your money will last. So there is this big fear across the board that their money will run out. And so um, this is where the confidence comes in. If possible, you know, you can illustrate that, no, it won't run out if you do these things. Um, but the comparison is universal. And mm. it's a bit like with the markets too, you know. Oh, I've, oh, I've lost money, but that's okay because everyone's lost money. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, or, you know, it, it's as long as they don't feel like they're the only ones. Um, safety in numbers, which is just this psychological behavioural thing. 
But um, if you bring it back down to that individual and you sort of say, look, doesn't matter what everyone else has got um, and they might appear to have more than you, but you don't know the full story, um, we'll work with what you've got and what you need and um, focus on that and don't worry about anyone else. And there's some really great tips to consider when engaging with not only female clients, but clients in general. Uh, thanks very much for your time, Anne. Um, and thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks, Sarah. It's been a pleasure. BT Tech knows, and now you know. Join us next time to keep ahead of the curve for strategy, regulatory and industry news. This podcast has been developed for financial advisor use only and provides general information only. It does not take into account any particular individual's objectives, financial situations or needs.